0: Welcome to episode 32 of the Axiom podcast. I'm here
1: with Devin. This is Joey Brannan. We're going to be talking about what? Attracting and retaining good employees, good talent. You know, a lot of our, the companies that we work with are in the service industry and it's a lot of hard manual labor that guys might be crawling around in attics. They may be working out in the hot sun on top of a roof and it's just really hard I think the general consensus right now is that with an unemployment so low, it's hard to find good, hardworking labor.
0: Yeah, so we have virtually zero unemployment. Like everybody who wants a job has a job pretty much in this economy right now. And when we talk about uh, our local service economy, a lot of the businesses that we work with in this area are going to be service or trade-type businesses. You mentioned air conditioning, construction, home services, that kind of stuff. Uh, But even when you get into manufacturing, there comes a point when you have to have good people either for quality control or for machining or for inventory control. Uh, So at some point you're always going to run up against the capacity constraint with employees. And a business can have a hard time growing if it doesn't have a good steady stream of employees coming in to keep up with the growth. And, and there's two sides to that. Like you have to limit attrition. You have to retain your employees. So a lot of the stuff that we work with with clients on uh, culture and, the, and having the values come from the owner and actually mean something and make a difference in the business And having a vision that people can get excited about and they can come alongside the owner and pursue something over the course of, you know, five or 10, 15, 20 year career with the business. Uh, But also just having growth uh, that's at a a level where it can keep up with an individual's own personal and professional growth. So like, you know, it's often the case that individuals can make greater strides growing personally and professionally, especially early in their career. And they can they can progress at a rate that's much faster than the business can keep up with. And you think about a really small business, that has got four or five employees, and it could be that the person that comes in in their mid to late twenties, you know, you know, kind of first big career opportunity, uh, they're going to learn things at an incredibly rapid rate. Hmm. Their skill set's going to expand very quickly. They're gonna to wanna to push the bounds and you know they may be they may be ready to go from customer service to say sales, but the business can't afford to hire another customer service person behind them because it doesn't have the revenues yet. And so it's like, well, I'm sorry, but you're gonna to have to stay in in customer service. We can't have you move into sales. Whereas a growing business is gonna have the opportunity to bring people in underneath that person, allow them to move up through the ranks. So when you're talking about capacity constraints when it comes to employees and this idea that we essentially have zero unemployment in the service sector right now we have to yeah you you're competing with for employees almost the same way you're competing for customers especially yeah. when we get into some of the skilled trades you know if you're if you have a skilled trade that takes 5 or 10 years to become proficient or competent or licensed so like a pr- plumbing trade or an electrician's trade uh, or if it's maybe not something that has a certification but it's like roofing or it's uh, or even if you're talking about um, sales for instance you know I mean it, it can take five or ten years for you to learn the profession of sales and the people don't grow on trees so where do you get them yeah make, from your competitors get them from your competitors right and, and that causes problems in and of itself because your competitors are going through the same thing you're going through it's like well i need new i need more people the last thing in the world i need is to lose somebody and you know we, you can have competitors just because they're your competitor doesn't mean you're collegial it doesn't mean that you know you're not you know if you if you if everybody in your industry is cutthroat then you know your customers probably don't enjoy doing business in that industry anyway. You know? yeah. So like we don't see that kind of cutthroat, you know, burn your competitors to the ground situation very often. Normally it's somewhere between best friends and worst enemies. But there's a collegiality and you know there's a recognition that you know hey w- what's good for all of us is good for me and what's just good for me is bad for you and I don't want to get into this adversarial role. But that becomes almost impossible when you're losing employees to somebody else who's giving them a couple more bucks an hour or, you know, the promise of benefits down the road that maybe you can't afford right now. Maybe they can't afford either, but they're just promising them, you know, painting the, the greener pastures picture to lure people away. So, you know, we don't, we have to find a way to be able to keep up with our employee requirements that isn't predicated on just stealing people from our, our competition, uh, that also acknowledges we, we can't just turn somebody into an electrician in two weeks in the you know, on an onboarding process. And so, you know, when we talk to customers about our, our clients about what they're doing, you know, we like to see the always hiring sign, you know, I mean, it's like if, I have I I tend to I tend to hear two things from business owners. Uh one is you can never find good people. You know, and that's usually the excuse that they're using for the reason they haven't grown. You know, oh, you just can you can't find any good people out there. I'm like, "Really? <laughs> <laughs> You've been saying that for 15 years. Like in 15 years people haven't gotten any better?" And then you'll find other other business owners who probably, you know, you find definitely find them in the same market, the same business, and they are always hiring, and they're not complaining about not being able to find good people. Um, they're just they're like, we're, we're always bringing people on. One of my most successful clients, um, that that kind of epiphany came from leaving one appointment where the person was literally saying, you can't find good people. You know, nobody's going to be able to grow because people suck right now, and Walking into the next appointment a couple hours later and asking him, you know, how how are things going? Um, you know, how is your hiring process? Because I knew he was growing very fast. He goes, yeah, "We're always hiring. We're always finding good people." And so when you scratch below the surface in those two businesses, you typically find two different paradigms at work. One is, I hate hiring people because it costs money and it's a painful process, and I got to stop what I'm doing. And so I only engage in the hiring process when I absolutely have to have somebody, which you and I know is probably the worst time in the world. To, it's like trying to go out and get a bank loan when you really, really, really need the money, mm-hmm. right? Going out and trying to find the next employee to fill a critical role when your business is precariously hanging on the balance. Yeah. thats probably not a great time to go find somebody. So there's those types of businesses. And then are the businesses that they never turn off The Indeed ads, they never take the now hiring sign down. Even if they know we don't necessarily have an immediate need today, we are always looking for people. We have a continuous process, and it really is a business process. It's an HR process of of people development that starts with always having our ears out and our our eyes open to see if there's anybody coming through that we might want to take a look at. And, you know, how, how difficult is it to interview one person a week?
1: Oh, it's not difficult it's at not all. That
0: di- I mean, you're talking about an hour or two a week. Usually an hour or two a week split up among two or three people. Yeah. Right. But when we say, um, you know, you should be interviewing people all the time. I don't have time for that. Oh, but you do have time to like stop everything and do like four or five interviews in one day, basically give up an entire day to try to get somebody that
1: can start tomorrow and you're going to get probably somebody who's not a great fit. Yeah. You know, and I wonder, I wonder what is the internal thought process of some of those businesses. uh, Maybe you are a business owner right now who's, who is hesitant to always be hiring. And, you know, my thoughts, maybe, maybe some of it is, you know, kind of that old analogy of a dog going and barking at car tires as they drive by. And the, the common joke is, well, who knows what's going to happen if he actually gets one, or he's not ready for if he actually gets a tire. Right. And I wonder if that's not the mentality of some business owners is, man, I'd love to be hiring all the time, but what happens if I'm not necessarily ready and I do get a really great candidate? And it's almost like a, a fear and you know apprehension. Well, I'm not going to go down that road. I'm just not going to hire until I absolutely need somebody. Mm-hmm. So what do you do with that? If, you know, If you're a business owner and you want to find good people, but you're scared of maybe going through that continuous hiring process or always hiring mm-hmm. mentality, what do, you, what do you do with that? Well, I think you have to know what you're expecting the organization to look
0: like in the future so that when people come in the door, you're not trying to answer two questions at the same time. The first question being, is this somebody that I want on my team? You know, like, do, they, do we fit culturally? You know, they, they, they kind of resonate with our values. Is this somebody that would be a good fit? And, you know, they have a good skill set. They're obviously smart. They're capable. You know, like this is somebody we want on our team as somebody that could be productive in our business. That's question one. And then the second question is, well, where am I going to put them? Right? And so that's the conflict you're talking about. It's like, well, if, I, if the dog catches that tire and it's like, this is somebody I want on my team. And like, but I don't know where to put them. What am I, you know, now what? And so what we would say is, go, let's go ahead and answer the second question now. And there's this great exercise that we have clients run through that comes out of the EMyth or the EMyth Revisited, Michael mm-hmm. Gerber's book, uh, where you look at your organization chart or your accountability chart and you try to uh, do a little bit of fortune telling of saying, look, if I pursue my vision, if I have a vision to be you know, a $10 million company in the next 10 years, we would sit that client down and say, let's look at what the organization chart's going to look like 10 years from now. And let's put all the boxes on the board. And it's probably, it's almost certainly, is the case that right now there's going to be uh, you, there's going to be multiple boxes that have the same name in them, right? Because down the road we might say, well, we want a sales manager and we want five salespeople, right? But today I got one salesperson and no sales manager because that one salesperson maybe they're fulfilling the role of. Sales manager and salesperson, or maybe the business owner is kind of acting as the de facto sales manager. Mm. Uh, accounting is like another area. We go well, you know. When we get to be that size, we're going to need kind of a controller, and we're going to need accounts receivable person. We're going to need accounts payable person, and maybe we'll need one more clerical person to help out with payroll. Right, but right now, those four boxes all have you know Susie's name in it because Susie is our bookkeeper, and maybe Susie's only part time. Right, But we need to start thinking about where are we going to be going down the road. So, when And the way that we begin to fill up those boxes with other names is almost always from the bottom up, not from the top down. So in other words, we may picture in 10 years, uh, we're going to have the owner is going to be the CEO, but there's going to be an operations manager directly under them. Well, if we got four employees today, it's very unlikely that the fifth employee is going to be our operations manager yeah it's much more likely that the fifth employee is going to be you know uh, an, an administrative person to, to make sure that the office supplies don't run out maybe to make sure that the facilities are clean you know that kind of stuff that the business owner is having to do or somebody else in the organization is having to do a significant chunk of their week and you go well if we had some had that person now it's going to free up these people who are doing the job to focus more on their core responsibilities, and that's going to help us grow. So if you haven't thought about where the people are going to go and you're doing constant interviewing, you're right. It is like the dog finally catching the car. And then you're like, okay, this is fantastic that I've spent an hour and a half and found this great person, and now I just need to find a place for them. and And you tend to make... Well, I think one of the things that happens is those people don't tend to stick on, stay around long. If you do pull the trigger and hire them, it becomes very evident very quickly, like within their first week or two, that you know they are very capable. That's why you hired them, but you don't really know how to use them. You don't know where to put them. You don't know what their responsibilities should be. So they wind up designing their own job description if they're very assertive, or. They wind up just kind of floundering because there's no real job responsibilities. There's nothing to there's nothing to hand off to them. There's no, um, you know, if you haven't if you haven't gone through the brass tack stuff of building out org charts that that describe what the organization is going to like when you reach your vision, you probably haven't even described your vision yet, right? So now you've got this really capable, smart person on your team. And they realize in the first week or so that there's no vision for this organization. And like six months later, they're gone. So, yeah, I, th- I think if you're looking for, if you're a business owner and you're listening and you're going, I like the idea of always having the door open and always having the hiring sign on, um, it's probably a really good exercise for you to sit down and say, what do I expect my organization to be in 10 years? And what does the org chart need to look like? And then... Put the current names. All of those functions probably exist in the business today. They're just consolidated you know, in one or two people instead of 15 or 20 people. So go through and put all the names in the boxes as they are today and then start filling it in from the bottom up. And when that great person comes along, you can say, look, I've got an opportunity. There's going to be, it's, gra- it's kind of a ground level opportunity. You're going to be entry level. Uh, but I can show you what the organization is going to look like, and I can show you what it would look like if you were to move up and you were to continue to get promoted up. And we can only afford to pay you this much right now. Is this an opportunity you would like? And you'd be surprised, especially with this millennial generation that gets talked about so much, and one of the things we hear over and over and over again is that it's not about the money. Well, the truth is it's, it doesn't really matter generation, generationally which era we're talking about. It's never been about the money. I mean, young people in their 20s are always idealistic. They always want to change the world. Very few of them are just going in and saying, you know, I'll sell myself to the highest bidder. So, you know, if, you, if you're saying I'm too small to be able to hire somebody because nobody's going to want to be able to work for what I can pay, you might be surprised if you lay out a picture of the future that entails some opportunity then that's currency that they may not be able to get anywhere else, and you might get a really great person because you're you're accustomed to having people walk through the door every week and you're willing to take the time.
1: You know, and that's interesting that you say that because, you know, in a different kind of uh, size of business, this is something that larger businesses in, in much bigger industries do well, and you see it in the internship role, mm-hmm. Right. They're not doing any. I mean, they're still taking on that payroll if it's a paid internship position. They're still taking on that payroll like any other business would, but they're doing it with the mindset of that same mentality as, "Hey, this is this is stuff that you're going to be doing, but here's the opportunities if you do come into the fold after your internship ends." Uh, and I think that's a really that's something that those yeah they have the capacity they have some of the the financial resources to be able to to do that and do it often. But it's a good model. If you, mm-hmm. if you look at it from a just systematic perspective, they're pitching a really great business. They say, hey, this company's really large. We have lots of opportunity for you here. We're going to see if you fit. That's something that maybe small business owners can learn from. Yeah, it's a, very, it's a great point. If a, if a multi-billion dollar
0: corporation who probably has the ability to pay a lot more can convince people to come work for them for less by calling it an internship... And the only way they're able to do that is to hold out the prospect of future opportunity. That's a lesson we should learn from because very few business owners are really good about selling the prospect of future opportunity. And I don't think it's because they don't believe in it. I mean, that's their business. It's their baby. If they didn't believe there was was an opportunity, like it'd be really hard for them to get out of bed every morning. It's just a consequence of them not having the time or the energy to think about it. Uh, And not having um, somebody to hold them accountable to actually paint the picture of vision. You know, I mean, how many businesses do we walk into? Probably eight out of 10 new clients don't have a vision. And it's not because they're not ambitious. It's not because they didn't want to change the world. It's just like once upon a time they started out and they had these visions of grandeur and then real life got in the way. And their first payroll, their first employee crisis, the first customer that was upset – and, you know, now it's been 25 years and they're successful. We look at them and you go, well, you've you got a multi million dollar business and it's predominantly the consequence of working their butt off mm. and having, uh, you know, having some good moral principles that people respect and want to do business with. But when you're talking to, uh, to a younger potential employee or, and younger could be anywhere from 40s to 20s. Uh, you still have to be able to communicate. I'm going somewhere. You know, you're going to be in a good spot. You know, we're going to get to a great spot together. It's not just about showing up for a paycheck. So, like, um, it's just one of those homework assignments that if you if we you know we say if we put a gun to your head and said, where do you want to be in 10 or 20 years? Like, describe it to me. Give me a postcard. Paint me a postcard of where you want to be in the future. And if you can't do that, you got other problems besides hiring good employees. Like you need to really figure out what is it that motivates you to keep pursuing this business day after day after day. Is it just a paycheck? Is it just a mortgage payment? You know, it it, it doesn't take a lot to get a business beyond the basics of just being able to make payroll and you know provide for the owner. And then you you got a little bit of
1: headspace to think bigger in terms of vision. Hi, this is Devin Dash at Axiom Strategic, and we just want to take a moment to, to break in our episode. And first of all, just thank you for listening. And the second thing we want to inform you of is a special series that we're going to be doing where we want to answer your burning questions. If you're a business owner or you're a professional working for a business and you have a burning question um, that we can put our minds to and, and maybe help you you know, think strategically about, do not hesitate to, to reach out to us. We're going to be putting together a string of episodes where we're going to be answering your questions. You can email us your questions at podcast at axiomstrategic.com or you can visit our website axiomstrategic.com, visit our podcast page, and there will be a form that you can fill out and get us your questions that way. I want to thank you again for listening. And now back to the episode. I'll raise my hand just if you're listening. I, I am a millennial. I'm kind of the <laughs> He's our token millennial. I, I'm the other end of the spectrum though. I'm 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 a millennial trapped in a I guess I would say I'm a baby boomer trapped in a millennial's body. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I, I find that to be so essential is really that culture piece. Um, you know, if you come into a business and you're interviewing and there's not something, some golden nugget, I mean that's we all want. Nobody wakes up and says, "I want to. I want to just make a lot of money." I mean, Mm -hmm. there's some, but most people, there's a reason for why they want to make that money. Mm -hmm. And if you can paint me a picture of how your business is going to go, you know, go places and take me along and compensate me fairly along the way, I'm all about that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, that's why I joined Axiom. I offered to do this for free. Mm Do you want to change your compensation? No, no, no. no.
0: It's
1: a different conversation.
0: <laughs> well, when we when we talk to businesses, um, you know, w- let's go back to kind of the service economy and the trades. And I would say, you know, some of the clients that we have that do this the best um, have really kind of taken it upon themselves to to, to provide the employees of the future. Meaning, um, I'm not just going to post an ad when I need a new plumber, I'm going to start an apprenticeship program for plumbers. I'm not just going to um, you know, offer a referral bonus when I need a new AC tech. I'm going to work with the local trade school to design a new curriculum and an AC tech program and have those people come to our office and, and do like a career day where they go through every station in the company and see what it looks like to actually work in a business where they w- might be a technician in the future. And we know that, you know, whether it's the apprenticeship program or it's the relationship with the local trade school, you know, you're going to get the cream of the crop because you're providing an, an onboarding ramp that lowers the barrier of entry for really good people to come in and and become a part of your company. Uh, but that, it does require some resources. I mean, you have to be able to to shoulder the cost of an apprentice. You have to be you know, of a, a big enough size that your guys need helpers, you know, and so you can hire some of the lower skilled labor and then put them through an apprenticeship program. But it doesn't have to be extraordinarily expensive because when you're talking about working with a trade school to develop a curriculum, well, you know, if you're if you're of the size where you're, you're needing that kind of influx of new skilled tradesmen, then you've got somebody full-time who can write the curriculum. You know, you've got access to industry associations that can fill in the gaps bef- between curriculum um, if you want to offer an apprenticeship program well you're hiring helpers and those helpers are making your licensed people more productive and the the uh, kind of the the quid pro quo or the the expectation is that hey, if i if you're in the apprenticeship program yeah we're going to pay for your schooling you know two nights or three nights a week but that's not it's not a huge investment for a business, you know, you break it down into what does that cost them per hour for a full-time employee. It's not extraordinary. Um, and the employee is, is truly vested and bought in. Like they're giving up their nights and weekends to go into this trade school. So, uh, I think it can seem daunting because you go, we've never done anything like that. Well, that's kind of the definition of change. Like it's things you've never done before. Um, and there is a roadmap to do it. There are other businesses who have done it. There's, you know, there's folks like us who've seen businesses do it and can kind of paint the picture of what you're going to have to do step one, step two, step three. Um, but there are all kinds of opportunities. You mentioned internships earlier. Uh, there are very few small businesses. And when I say small, you know, we, we typically talk in terms of two, thirty, two to forty million dollars somewhere in there. But if you go like even four or five hundred thousand dollar businesses, very few of those who even contact the local university and say, hey, we've got internships, we've got summer internships. But that's a great opportunity if you're an accounting firm, or if you're an architecture firm, or if you're a law firm, if you're professional services. Um, these universities are look their kids are looking for places where they can plug in and get real world experience, and you know it can be paid or unpaid. If it's unpaid, uh, I think you can expect less of a return on your investment because it's probably going to be one or two days a week, maybe for a half day or an afternoon. Uh, so I would say, why don't you just make it into a paid program? It's a short term commitment for three or four months, or maybe two or three months, and you can have somebody added to your team. It's gonna make you raise your game as a business owner in terms of identifying processes and systems that don't exist. you know, and they're like, they go, well, how, how you want me to do this? How do I do that? And you're like, well, I don't know because <laughs> I've never <laughs> sat down and thought about step one, step two, step three. I just do it. So it, it's gonna highlight some deficiencies in your own small business where you do need to get better at processes. But in two or three years, that person's going to graduate and hopefully you've grown to the point you're ready to add a new entry level position. And who better than the person you've worked alongside for 30 or 40 hours a week, you know, for the last couple of summers. So I don't think we should limit internships to really big companies. And I know from personal experience that these local universities, you've got a university in your town or adjunct campus, they have these, these students who have the needs. they they don't have to support themselves, you know. Full time, mom and dad are still paying for room and board during the summer, so you know they can come in and they can they can afford to work for next to nothing while you try them out and see what your business can use.
1: Yeah, you know, and and I think just a, I'm a byproduct of USF Sarasota-Manatee their business program, and that was a huge emphasis of theirs. And was working with hundreds and hundreds of businesses in the Braden Sarasota and Bradenton area that. They want their students to get that experience. They want their students to be able to access internships. and I was I was a byproduct of that in in some ways because I was able to get hands- on at whether it would be a, a local brewery or uh, another local uh, flavor manufacturer. and they they give you access to to not just inside the business, learning about it and but, even doing projects for particular courses. Mm-hmm. Um, so so definitely something that I think small businesses should get plugged into exactly right. So
0: when we talk about uh, moving past the internship and what does this process look like? Like what does it look like to have the the now hiring sign always lit kind of in the front window? Um, you know all, most of our clients are using some kind of, Uh, resume service indeed is kind of the flavor of the day right now that we hear most often Um, but they never take those ads down and there's a few things that we've learned from clients um, recently that that I want to highlight and one is you know you can get stuck in thinking about job positions in kind of rote terms of like we need a customer service rep or we need a uh, we need a a delivery person or, you know, and it's sometimes um, the, the consuming public becomes deaf to those terms. You know, sometimes how many people have experience as a customer service representative? Right? Everybody raises their hand. <laughs> well, but if I'm thinking about, uh, if I'm thinking about my past, I might look at that and go, I don't know if I can do that because I've never been in a telemarketing building. You know, I've never had a headset strapped on for eight hours a day where I'm just taking phone calls. Um, and the truth is very few people have sat in a call center, you know, as part of their career. And so they disqual—they might disqualify themselves um, or the person who is, to your point, the person who is receiving the resumes, they're thinking customer service representative and they quickly scan through the resume and they don't see any pedigree for customer service representative. The person's raising their hand going, look, I'm great at relationships, I can do that job, but the person who's screening is so myopically focused on CSR that they just exclude them out of hand, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, some of our clients have started to have better success thinking a little bit outside the box and saying, well, rather than uh, customer service rep, we're going to advertise for a sales position or we're going to advertise for a front desk position or we're going to advertise for... So we're trying to identify uh, something that people are more familiar with that is likely to have a a great deal of overlap in terms of skill set between what we're describing and what we actually have available. And what they find out is like, well, lots of people, you know, lots of people have uh, sales experience in terms of being servers in restaurants you know, lots of people have customer service experience in terms of being cashiers in retail businesses, whether it's grocery stores or retail establishments. So, you know, you might say we need cashiers. You know, we're looking for cashiers, and you don't have a cash register in the entire building. What you're really looking for is somebody who can can be face to face with dozens and dozens and dozens of customers a day. Mm and has the relational skill set to be able to greet people and say goodbye while at the same time being very conscientious and not making errors and you know handling cash and Absolutely. coupons and all that stuff so you know when you're if you're looking at the stuff that it, maybe you do have the indeed post up there and it's been the same you've been running the same one for the last 52 weeks and you're not getting results or you're getting the same results and you're looking at the same people three or four times and you're finally going okay i you know, i guess i guess we're going to give this one a chance because nobody else is applying <clears throat> maybe it's time to mix up your ads think a little bit outside the box and say how could we describe this? What other jobs are out there that people are more likely to have experience with, a little bit broader base, and the skills in those jobs are very similar to the ones that we're going to want? And, you know, we've had some clients that say, you know, they kind of found the magic formula, and now they got more candidates than they would ever need for their customer service rep position, because they just described it in a way that didn't say customer service rep.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Definitely changing up the you know, in and, and a separately related topic, you know, that's that's something that's popular right now with marketing and search engine optimization. It's people are saying, well, don't use just keywords. You got to do, you know, long termed keywords where you instead of just saying stre- strategic or strategy, it's uh, management consulting strategy. And, mm-hmm. You know, you're adding additional descriptive words on top of a, a job description in order to attract an employee or a potential employee who has experience... And that might not necessarily respond to that generic customer service rep position posting
0: right. when well, when we get people in the front door, and let's say that they are you know they're interested um you know what the process looks like after that is you know it's all over the map, you know you've got the screener, the person who's reviewing the resumes and probably tossing out five for every one that they keep, and then you've got like first interviews and second interviews and and so. You know, where what are some of the things that we would recommend uh, to clients who are going through that process, right? And the, I think one of the first things, uh, one of the, it's there's lots of systems out there, and you know, you could get into what's the best HR platform to manage employees on and all that stuff. And That's not what we want to talk about. These are more like systems agnostic things, and like the very basic one is it's not just enough to do multiple interviews because we see a lot where it's like the first interview is done by like the HR person maybe on the phone. And then the second interview is done by the HR person in the office. And then the third interview is done by maybe the department manager who's doing the hire. And then the fourth interview is done by the business owner.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And the kind of glaring weakness in all of those is that there's always ever been two people in the room. Yeah. And so you have these one-on-one interviews Uh, where it makes it very difficult, number one, to objectively observe what's happening, and number two, to have more of an organic conversation that goes down the rabbit trails and the nuances to explore different topics that are being discussed. So what happens when you have two people in the room is that one person is trying to, to answer the question that was just asked, and the other person rather than listening is thinking about what they need to say next either because it's a socially awkward scenario like maybe the person that's being interviewed just isn't great at carrying on a conversation or maybe the HR person isn't great, great <laughs> at carrying it or the the department manager isn't great at carrying on a conversation yeah um, and so it's an awkward and the, the person who's not talking is like I just got to keep the conversation going like I I have to maybe it's an insecure manager and like, I have to sound really smart. So I got to think of smart questions uh, or it's an insecure interviewee and they're, you know, rather than listening to the description of what, what the job entails or what the the question being asked is, they're thinking about the next thing. When you have three people in the room that goes away.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: so when one person's talking, there are two people listening and that shared burden of listening frees us up to not feel as anxious about who needs to say what next. Because there's a good chance that when whoever finishes talking is done, like if you, know, if you and I are interviewing somebody, there's a good chance that when that person is done, you're going to talk or I'm going to talk. So it's not all on me to figure out the next smart thing to say. And the dynamic there completely changes the nature of the conversation, but it also completely changes the nature of the observation that's happening for the businesses doing the interview. And if there's one thing that we probably see most often, or I guess if there's one thing we hardly ever see, it's a policy that no interview with a new hire will be done with just two people. Yeah.
1: You know, it's funny. This is all bringing me back to my first job interview. And I won't share the name of the company because... You protect the innocent. I, I protect, protect the, the guilty. Yeah, protect the guilty party. But they should be much better than this. But I, I sat down in the office and uh, the interviewer, who happened to be one of the managers, uh, put his feet on his... You know, crossed his feet, put his hands behind his head and said, so tell me about yourself. And that was it. And I was left to navigate this interview and thankfully it was pretty easy i knew the company pretty well had some previous friends who'd worked there but talk about a a weird setting to to be interviewed no questions it was just me i could i could have lied through my teeth (laughs) and told him all the things that he wanted to hear but you know just because it was him and i and and you know he was not prepared at all yeah so but but it reminded me of that and you know a fun fact people can fake it for 16 hours it's on average somebody can fake it for 16 hours and you you'll get a completely different person than the person that you hire so just because they get so worn down and tired after 16 hours they can't fake it anymore or they just don't care to fake it anymore I, i'm not sure where the, wh- why that is the case it was a in- interesting trivial statistic i heard you know a couple years back but i can imagine it's because after 16 hours people just are tired of acting yeah. or or it's not so much that you know, it's the politeness wears off or the comfortability, you know, goes to the next level and they're like, well, this is really kind of who I am, Mm -hmm. you know, and the layers peel back.
0: Yeah, and there's very few, uh, very few interviews come down to just the skill set. So I can imagine a situation like if you're, if you're interviewing for a welding job, like what the interview is going to look like them sticking you in front of three or four different kinds of welding machines and three or four different kinds of materials and saying, okay, show me what you got, right? And yeah. it's like, there's not a lot of questions. They're not about like, tell me about your your family or where you're from. There might be a little bit of, of that, but for the most part, it's purely technical skill. Um, but that those situations are rare because even if you think about a, um, like an AC technician, you know, something an electrician where it's a highly skilled uh, unless you're, even if you're going to work on new construction sites, you're still going to have to interact with supervisors, you're still going to have to act with, interact with other contractors and foremen and inspectors, uh, but certainly for the lion's share of the retail economy, you have to interact with people. You know the skill set alone is not enough just to get you. You know to, to ensure that you're going to perform well in the job. You have to be technically competent, but you also have to be able to build relationships and leave customers with a good taste in their mouth or other employees with a good taste in your fellow colleagues. Mm-hmm. So you know these interviews ought to be uh, a lot about what is the relational capacity of this person. You know that the emotional intelligence gets thrown around a lot since Gorman's book, but it really does come down to, uh, you know, is this person going to be somebody in the business that's going to be able to work well with others because they're not just batteries we're plugging into a machine. They actually have to interact with people. And what do most interviews look like? You know, I, I've been in a couple this past week, and the, they, they consist of the hiring packet, which is the resume, like an intake form, maybe a background check, uh, maybe some testing certifications that the HR person had them do to see, you know, can you use these software packages or, you know, that kind of stuff. And so when you, when you sit down with the hiring packet, the natural tendency is to start flipping through the hiring packet. You know, so, oh, I see you worked at ABC company. Tell me about that experience. Oh, I see you, you know, what a crappy conversation. Like, what do you learn about the person's relational capacity by asking them to, you know fill in more details about their job description the who the the what the where yeah. you know we never get into you know the why questions or very rarely do we get into why questions so one of the things i would encourage and this goes this is not just for interviews this is like a hack that i've talked about before for any kind of relational experience so you you and i do a lot of networking you know we're having breakfast we're having lunch we're having coffee with people we've never met before or just you know kind of know on a cursory level yeah. and we're trying to build a relationship with these people. We're, we're meeting with new prospective clients and we're trying to build a relationship. We're meeting with, um, potential networking partners, you know, other attorneys and accountants and engineers and people who we may be able to send business to, maybe be able to send business to us. And we're trying to build a level of trust. So, before I've done this in the car before it's it's obviously easier if you can have a little bit more time to think about it, but in the car, in the parking lot, outside the restaurant, before I walk in, just opening up to a blank page in my little notebook and and trying to come up with 21 questions that I can ask this person. Mm. And without the pressure to think about a question in the moment, without the pressure to carry on the conversation, you can come up with some pretty good questions and they're, they could be different every time. But and the interviews that I was in this past week, you know, I was there to kind of gauge the competency of this person in a specific area of the business that I have experience in. You know, are they, are they going to be a good fit in the financial aspect of our business? And so, you know, I had I took a little bit of time to prepare. It turned out to be about a page, maybe 20 or so questions of, you know, how what can I ask this person? in kind of just an open-ended way that will give them a chance to explain not just their their technical proficiency or their skill level but will also give me an opportunity to get some insight into how they're going to be able to develop relationships. And you know, those questions you know, like one of the questions had something to do with, you know, have you ever worked with two owners in a business and and how did you manage conflicts when it came to finances between those two owners? Where one person would want to do one thing and one person wanted you to do the other. And the answer that we got back uh, dealt with a situation she worked in with two brothers, were the two partners, hmm. and the business wound up splitting up and they wound up, you know, one brother went his way with his company the other brother went another way and started a different company. And we got some real insight into how she handles conflict and why she chose to go with one brother instead of the other brother because, you know, they both wanted her to kind of follow them. And so, you know, the, going into an interview prepared and, and it only takes another five or ten minutes and you're yeah. gonna do it, you know, with the resume packet in front of you. But once the person walks in the door, you don't need to go through the resume again. You've either done it or you haven't. Yeah. Right. Now let's try to get to know the person and understand a little bit about their relational capacity as
1: well as their skill set. Yeah. Yeah. That's great feedback. It's funny that you mentioned that. You know, before you go networking, and this might be—I don't know how you could adapt it to your business, but you know, let's get creative. I uh, read a really great book called. Um, The Fine Art of Small Talk, and we'll put a link in the podcast description, Mm -hmm. but uh, she essentially goes to networking events with that same mentality. Why are they here? Whether it's a manufacturing association event or a general contractors association event, or maybe it's just a sales, sales event, there's a common ground already, two people in the same place. So, you know, that doesn't work exactly the same in interview processes, but you could, you know start getting to, to why they chose to apply at this job. And sure, there's always going to be the superficial, well, I need a job, but with a 0% unemployment rate, they don't need a job that bad. Right. So why did they choose this company compared to all the You're other probably companies? probably not their only interview. Exactly. So, you know, get to gauge that aspect of, of the individual as well and, and see if there's a commonality uh, or a fitness with them in your business through that yeah. kind of conversation. Hi, this is Joy Brennan. I want to take
0: a quick time out just to tell you a little bit more about Axiom and the work that we do. We work with closely held businesses on strategic growth. What that means is that we come alongside the business owners, we help them get clear about where their business is going, and then we engage their leadership team to build plans for growth, and then execute those plans. If you're a business owner and you're trying to grow or you're looking for future growth, or maybe you're just trying to manage the current growth that you have and you're looking for some help, you want somebody to come alongside you to give you the tools, to show you what accountability looks like, to build the skill set of your team so that you can step away from the business while it continues to grow, give us a call. You can find more information at axiomstrategic.com. Well, with the time we have left, uh, let me put the put you on the hot seat, um, because the reality is, with the current economy doing as well as it is, um, pretty much everybody who wants a job has a job. So as a consequence, the people who are available are often the people who are coming into the workforce workforce for the first time. They're either finishing up school or they're finishing, you know, that first stent that like pre-professional stent after school, you know, where it has been a, a tight labor market, and they haven't been able to find uh, a lot. Maybe in the last four or five years, as we kind of came out of recession, and so they may have been working in a field that wasn't what they studied for. You know, now they're now they're interviewing for that first kind of professional position. Um, you know, what is it if you're on the other side of the table? What is it that you see, uh, one, are you more likely to, do you want to just get the call out of the blue from the person who has the Indeed subscription saying, hey, I saw your resume, like are you going on there, are you posting your resume to 100 different places? Are you working your personal network to see who you can get close to so that you're not lumped in with all the other Indeed folks? What's your approach or what approach do you see being used or talked about among people in your your peer group uh, for pursuing that, that would give our listeners who probably on the other side of the table, that are doing the interviews or posting the wanted ads, uh, that give them some insight into maybe how they can approach the millennial generation a little bit more effectively?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, personally, my, I did kind of a twofold. Uh, I continued to work my network and my relationships and I connected with people. But I also... Looked on Indeed for different positions that I thought were interesting or that I had experience that fit some of the requirements that they had, and I just sent out my, you know, I sent my resume probably to ten or fifteen local companies. I had some pretty strict criteria. Wasn't interested in moving, um, but you know, in that conversation, that line of conversation, there is a lot of of untilled and unworked ground in the young professional networking groups. Uh, and I, and I think this is something that both sides could benefit from is first of all, if you're in college or you're that you know young business professional just getting ready to enter the workforce because you graduated um, and you don't, you know you've been working at McDonald's or you've been working at Publix, and those are great places to work. but you're you're wanting to kind of enter the business, mm-hmm. get paid, you know, take money out of your savings and make an investment in your future and get plugged into, Local chamber of commerce, young professional groups, or local young professional groups, because number one, you're going to be networking with a lot of other young talent who maybe have been in the industry for whatever industry it is for five, ten years, Um, because they're under. Most of them are under forty, and you're going to be building those connections. Uh, And then on the other side, a business owner has has extreme amount of. Potential and opportunity there to just connect with other younger people who who have shown an interest and shown an initiative to get plugged in and are, and and want to to really grow and succeed as professionals and and people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's one of the strategies that could work for both sides. Uh, I think the other thing for business owners and I, I we touched on this earlier, but um, this this could just be a personal this could just be my personal opinion. Um, Maybe others share it. But really, it goes back to that culture piece. And, and it's so important, I think, for business owners when they are interviewing a candidate, like myself, to be mindful of the fact that this person sitting across the table from you, more than likely, their desire is to make you happy as the business owner. Their desire is to do well for your company. Like Otherwise, they wouldn't have applied. So I would just caution you to to have that generous assumption of the person sitting across the table from you, unless they're totally deceitful and they're just telling you all the right answers. They don't really have the technical experience or any experience. Have that generous assumption and also realize that what they're coming into that interview with and they're battling is a general myth in our culture, which is you have to be the best. That if you're not the best, then you, you don't cut it. And a lot of that is, you know, this idea of success, success. When we expect people refresh out of college who are smart, young, hungry, ready to learn, ready to grow, we accept, expect them not to fail or not to have questions. And I would say if you go into to an interview with a, with a recruit or a potential candidate and you kind of have this already mentality that this person needs to, you know, plug and play. You're going to lose some. You're going to lose some candidates that way too, because they're going to come in and you're going to have all these heavy expectations on them, and then they're going to tap out. One, they're scared to say, "I don't know," and two, they they have they they're just you know, you're a reminder that this is the, just this cutthroat and this is the way it is. So I don't know if that that answers your question.
0: Well, the culture piece, it's very, um, it's foundational to everything we do. Like, Like when we go in and assess a business, the first thing that we look at is all of the elements of their culture, their values, their vision, why the business owner does what they do, and their mission. And then we, from there we move into the leadership team and understand, you know, do they have a functioning leadership team? Does everybody know what their responsibilities are? Is there accountability for specific functions and making sure that things don't fall through the cracks? And then we get into business operations, right? So, And then it's, it's actually not until after operations we talk about marketing and then the very last thing is where we get into, like, the actual profitability of the business, right? And yeah. it's no accident because... We can't expect profitability. We can't ex- expect sustained intentional profitability without addressing all the stuff underneath, and it does start with the culture piece. Um, so when when you're talk when you're a business owner, like I think one of the the, the the stereotypes in interviews is like the business owner who comes in or the interviewer comes in and they spend like 60 minutes talking about themselves and their company. Yeah. And it's like an advertisement for why you should work here, which does have the capacity to explain culture. It does have the, the potential to get some point of that across. But I think probably the overriding message is, this guy just likes to hear himself talk. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so how does a business owner communicate culture without being like the 45 minute talking billboard? Like how does that, what does that look like to have a dialogue with a person where you're, you're communicating culture at the same time you're understanding whether this person gets the culture?
1: Yeah. You know, a key piece of that is values, you know, if you're a business owner and you're, well, if you're a candidate and you're having the opportunity to sit down with the business owner, um, business owner know that I'm I'm kind of talking to you here. You should be able to ask them questions like, tell me tell me some words that you would use to describe the culture here. You know, if I'm a candidate, I should ask that question every time. And if the business owner can't lift list off, you know, I'm going to use our three care, truth, and diligence. Then, can't, you know, business owner, you should be able to do that, and you should be able to explain. And this is kind of how it works. in our this is kind of how it that those show themselves and we actually live those values out here in our in our organization Uh, and that's a very easy way to communicate the culture Um, the other the other thing is if you're a business owner and you're sitting in front of a candidate and they're asking you questions about the business and and you're maybe you do you've read the resume and this is a candidate that you would like to work for you you can also tell your story tell them why you started the business and that's going to require going back to that thing you said in the beginning. That's going to require some soul searching. That doesn't just come out of your pocket. Yeah. Um, that's something that you have have to have had thought of for for an extended period of time prior to any interview. Is man, what what really am I in business for? Um, and, and I think if you can communicate and tell the story, the narrative of what you want your business to be in one day, you know, one day, then that is really going to, I think connect a lot of recruits and candidates, uh, with, with the heart of your business. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, I think
0: as you were talking about that, I was thinking of a couple of our clients, uh, where they have like their mission and their values, like on the wall in the conference room where these interviews take place, you yeah. know? And so you know that's the other thing. Uh, I like what you said about values, uh, because we should be talking about values a lot, right? But I think it also says a lot when you've been intentional enough to put your values on the wall, like with your definitions. Yep. Um, there's a, a great story of a business, uh, is not C12, a group that you and I are both uh, involved with. But the business owner commissioned artwork to illustrate each one of the company's, you know, four or five key values. And they hung this artwork kind of in the, in the lobby, in the area, you know, where the conference rooms and stuff were. And it gave them an opportunity to talk to recruits about, see this piece of art, this is illustrative of this value that we have, and talk through it. So, you know, putting your money where your mouth is to make this stuff visible so it's not, you know, they don't just have to hear it, they can see it. Yeah. And they can see it during the whole interview, uh, they can see it on your website when they show up, you know, before they show up, when hopefully they're doing a little bit of due diligence. Hmm. Um, you know, I think that goes a long ways to communicating culture. But, you know, to your point, if you haven't articulated your values and defined them, it's impossible for you to talk to a candidate about them, right? Yeah. If you haven't sat down with somebody and really hashed out why you do what you do, hmm. And, and you haven't had that conversation half a dozen, a dozen times already with different people, it's going to be really hard for you to do it off the cuff when you're sitting across the table from somebody who's 20 or 30 years younger than you. Um, so, you know, this does entail doing some homework, but it's that foundational ho- homework of, of building your culture, and maybe the lesson here as we wrap up is, um, yes, we always want to be looking for good candidates, but we can't rely on new people... To fix the things that were broken before they got there. Absolutely. It's like we can't if we don't have if we haven't built and worked on our culture with some intentionality, we can't just hire more people and expect that it's gonna fix itself. In fact, the opposite's gonna happen. It tends to get more broken. And the way we see that is this revolving door of you know acquiring new talent and then seeing it walk away a year or two later or three or four years later. And if that described your business. If you've had a historically hard problem or hard time hanging on to good talent, then you really need to go to work on. It's not business process; it's culture. Because if people, you know, one of the things that you are real instrumental in in driving home to me when we read Daniel Coyle's book, "The Culture Code," together, is just that uh, the importance of that environment of safety. And to me, that is kind of the 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 consequence, the natural positive consequence of working really hard on your culture is that the people do feel safe. And so that's why I say it's not going to be business processes that cause them, a lack of business processes that cause them to leave. If you've got a healthy culture, it's very unlikely that someone's going to throw their keyboard down one day and be like, I'm out of here because we can't seem to get expense reports right. <laughs> right. If you've created a, an environment where they feel safe, they're going to come up with the better way to do expense reports. Yeah. And they're going to take a risk to say, hey, I think this, this thing's broken, but I think I have a solution. Can we try this out? And you'll see people, if, if they've bought into your culture and they're fully engaged and they feel safe enough to take risks, you'll start to see processes get identified that are broken. And the only reason that you'll know that they're, they're identified and broken is because people are raising their hands saying, I got a solution over here, I think we should try this. But if you have a toxic culture where there is no safety, people just put their head down. They do what you ask them to do. If it's broken, they don't care. You know, they'll swing that broken hammer a million times yeah. if they don't feel safe to go away and you know, take a couple hours off swinging the hammer to go fix it. So, uh, anyway, I, I think that's that's probably one of the bigger areas that we see pushback. Is like, what is this culture stuff? How is, I think it. I think intellectually, it's easy to buy into. But you get into the day-to-day work of the business, and it's like, well, how is all this culture stuff going to pay off? Well, you know what we've been talking about is if if it's there, it's a huge attractor for the right talent. Absolutely. And once that talent comes in the door, it guarantees that you're going to get the most out of them because they're going to be more fully engaged. And just to, to, to be ultra clear, when we talk about culture, like we're not talking about uh, a 20 year process, you know, th- that involves burning incense and, and trying to figure out, you know, what's right. the magic formula to create culture. We're talking about some very simple exercises. Number one, the business owner has to articulate the three or four values they want to be central in the organization. And they have to, they can't just come up with the words, they have to define what those words mean and they have to understand where their vision is taking the business. What is your vision for this business? Paint me a picture of where we're going to wind up 10 years from now, or if your vision is a 20-year vision 20 years from now, or if it's a 100-year vision, where is this business going to be in 100 years? It's, like, it's up to you, the business owner, to decide what kind of time frame we're talking about here. Uh, but once you decide the time frame, you ha- you need, the clearer you can paint the picture for me, if you can give me the postcard, then I can get alongside you. And then the, the mission and the why are the things that let people know what makes you tick. Yeah. You know, what is your heart about? Do, are you the kind of person that I want to be around, essentially? Like, because if your why is all about greed and making yourself wealthy, I mean, your vision may be fantastic, but if it's all about you, don't expect a lot of people to sign up and, and be excited about it. Yeah. So, well, I think that's it. Is there anything else we need to cover on this topic?
1: I, there. We probably could go another 45 minutes on this topic, but I think for our listeners' sake, we should cut it short. <laughs> Wrap it up. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We will be back next week. We don't know what we're talking about yet, but we'll figure it out between now and then. It'll be good. It'll be good.